Matt Herman, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I know you're super busy right now. It's college uh, decision time and college app time. So thank you for the, the time here, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you. Happy to do it, and, then, uh, and a welcome distraction to proofreading essays, writing rec letters, tracking down teacher recs, tracking down students. So this is a busy time. You're right. So tell me a little bit about uh, what all is going on right now. I'm, I teach seniors, and they're writing their essays, and some of them have multiple essays, like 20 or 25, and um, it sounds like it's a very strenuous, tough time for the students, but what exactly is happening now in the college admission season that makes you guys so busy? So the 11-1 or November 11th or November 1st deadline is a very popular deadline. So you have binding early decision applications that are due November 1st and College Park, which gets a lot of applications from, from Gilman guys, has a November 1 deadline. They have an early action deadline, so it's a non-binding one. Um, and historically, about you know, 90 to 95 percent of our guys will apply by, to a college by November 1st. Um, and so that's been a big change in college admissions, you know, in the, the last 15 years that I've been doing it. And certainly when I was applying to colleges, you know, most people were applying by January 1. So that's been a big change in, in, in higher ed and it, it compresses the college application season. So normally it's, you know, from senior year when it starts until January 1, but now it's when senior year starts, sometimes even before over the summer, um, most guys writing the bulk of their applications and submitting them by November 1. And I understand some students, some seniors already know where they're going already. I know Wake Forest already has some decisions out. Is that, what timeline is that? How do they know already? So Wake Forest is, a, I guess, an outlier in that. Um, and so for the past couple of years, they've allowed students to do what, what's called a, a rolling early decision application. And so... Uh, it used to be as soon as the junior year ended, you could put together an application, submit it, and they would read your application on a rolling basis. So six weeks later or so, they can give you the decision. Uh, they moved that deadline back. I think it's uh, August 1st now, but still, we have guys that have submitted to Wake Forest, got some good news, and that's where they're going. Um, most schools will still do uh, a November 1 deadline, though. And then there's the October 15th, right? Some schools have October 15th deadline that's coming up as well. Right. So a handful of larger Southern schools will have an October 15th deadline. Those are all non-binding. Um, UNC, South Carolina, Florida schools, public schools in Florida um, will have that October 15th deadline. Um, that's not attracting too many applications from our guys, but UNC tracks a, a good number of apps. Um, but all of those are, are non-binding. The early action is non-binding. So you have, you know, a decision coming back from then January, and then you have until May 1st to decide. They just need to, the time to process all those applications and, and read them and give decisions. So you've got all these different timelines in the air and keeping track of that is one part of this season. But when you're in your college counseling wing, sitting there during the day, students are coming in and sending you emails. What is kind of the bulk of your um, you know, your job as a college counselor right now, like what issues or questions are you really fielding right now? So it's very seasonal, the, the, the college counseling work. So certainly at the beginning of the school year, 
We're working with seniors, um, working on their list, figuring out where they're going to apply early action or early decision. We're working with them on their essays. Um, most schools will, will use the common application essay. So that has in some ways simplified things for students. So you have one main college essay to write and you can reuse that. And that's trying to get your, you know, what are you interested in? What are your values? What are your preferences? But then a lot of schools will have supplemental essays or school specific essays. Um, and so those done well, take a lot of time because you need to get to know the school. You need to get to know, uh, what you like about the school, what you can offer that college and, um, and really make that a school specific essay. Um, in, in working with parents too, um, we're talking financial aid. We're talking about the financial aid forms that they're submitting. Uh, we're talking about, um, having them do financial aid estimators. So, um, within the last five, 10 years, uh, Colleges are now producing on their websites financial aid calculators, so families can go in and basically put information that that's going to go into their taxes and have a pretty good idea of what the total cost of attendance will be. And so that has been helpful for parents and has allowed them to support their sons making early decision applications where you're telling the school, if admitted, I'm coming. And certainly it's a big investment, and so parents need that information. So in the application, the college essay on part of the student is obviously a huge part. Um, and I've helped some of my students kind of edit or make changes to their, I guess, supplemental essays. And I guess when some of my senior uh, students say that they're writing 20 or so essays, these are really all the supplementary ones that really ask you to describe what you're looking for in this specific school um, to get a sense of whether you know that school pretty well and know what you're looking for. Right. So we call those the why essay. And so it may just be simply why Tulane? Um, why do you want to go there? What do you want to study there? Um, and done well, those are school-specific essays. And so what you're interested in studying at Tulane should be different than what you want to study at Wake Forest or uh, another school that might be on your radar. How does a student write a good supplemental supplemental essay if they've maybe never been there before? I've never been to Tulane, but I want to go. My family has some connections there, and it seems like a pretty cool place. But I've never even stepped foot on that campus. Right. So I, I'll talk with families and students with about this. So I'll ask them to tell me about a good paper that they've written uh, that's maybe based on a book that they had to read for class. Did they read the book? Yes, they read the book. Uh, did you read some critical analysis of that book? Yes, they probably did. Um, did you think about what they liked about the book, what they didn't like about the book, what they would change about the book, questions that you might ask that author? So all those questions that I ask a student what went into that paper, those are some things that should go into the why essays. So do your homework. Mm -hmm. uh, if... if um, if they have virtual visits, which nearly all schools do now post-pandemic, do the virtual programming that they have online. Um, there's going to be student panels. There's going to be professor panels. There's going to be virtual visits, which is the equivalent of a student guide, you know, walking around with a selfie stick. Mm -hmm. And so you get a pretty good sense of a school. Um, if the school has good virtual programming, they have a sense of who they are and what their mission is and what sort of students they, they want to attract to their school. So there are opportunities 
to visit virtually that didn't exist before the, the pandemic. And I've been thinking a lot about if I'm in working in the admissions office at a, at a college, maybe in that first paragraph or two, that's probably the most important part. You have to really hook me or catch my eye because there's so many applications coming through in the beginning of the essay. Um, what do you think makes for a really strong, I guess, opening or beginning of a supplemental essay for a certain college? Is it that idea that this student has the grasp of what he or she wants at this certain school? Is it kind of a, almost similar to the college recommendation writing letter where it's kind of focused on a specific incident or moment that um, attracted them to the school? Like, What is it in those first paragraphs that kind of jumps out to admissions um, reviewers? So for the main essay, the hook is absolutely important and you're setting the foundation for the story that, that you're telling. And in a similar way that if, if you're writing a good history paper or a good English paper, you have your thesis. Um, and so you want the same thing for that main essay. What's the hook? What's the main idea? Give that reader something to latch onto. Don't leave them guessing uh, or, or hoping you're going somewhere and, and have it at the end. Mm -hmm. um, they are reading dozens and dozens of essays and they want to be entertained in some ways. They want to learn about you. Um, in those essays. For the school-specific ones, um, they're often asking a very specific question. And the question there can be open-ended and why, but sometimes they can be talking about a school's mission. Um, and so connecting and understanding that that's what they're looking for, for you to answer the question. So a couple of years ago, uh, Johns Hopkins was their supplemental question was about collaboration. That was very intentional. They were looking for students that could collaborate, that could work well um, with others. And so that's what you needed to write your essay about. Mm -hmm. And so for there, answer the question, um, certainly for those supplemental questions. Um, and, and one of the, the tough, toughest parts about writing those essays is the word limit. And so sometimes it's 150 words or 250 words. And so you don't have the the ability to have this long opening, you just have to get right to it. So jump right in. Um, and so for, for main essays, it's a 500 word limit or 500 word um, recommendation, 650 word limit. Um, you need to jump right in. You need to get to your, get to your point and establish it early on. That's what I've noticed from the students who have asked me for some help. It's usually not grammatical or coming up with ideas. It's I have 150 words over this amount. Can you help me cut it down? So that's probably the, the most difficult part of some of these supplementary essays is the, the word count, trying mm -hmm. to get in the specific range. Yeah, I, I also teach one section of U.S. history, and uh, one of the changes I've made to my history class is being very firm about word limits or page limits. Um, and so you have to meet that page limit or you're going to lose points. And so that is helping them write succinctly and, and answer the question. Mm -hmm. And, and it is in some ways with college applications in the back of my mind that they need to be able to answer the question in the word limit. So for a history paper, like what is a typical word limit for you that, for your students that kind of help them out? Um, so in the beginning of the year, I, I put it at a page limit. Um, yeah. and so I have a, a, for my first paper, it is a two page max. Um, and then 
for other posts, discussion board posts, things like that, uh, I'll have it at 150 word limit. And so they have to review an article, provide a 150 word limit review of it. And mm-hmm. so it, it helps them uh, understand what the author's main idea is and capture it and, and explain it in a succinct, concise way. I think that is really an important skill for anything that you do outside. So I kind of understand why that is the case on college admissions, um, keeping to a certain amount. And then you have to think about the reviewers and they're reading through so many of these um, applications. What are some other... I guess, aspects of a college essay that a student writes that you're kind of helping them through that you think might be valuable for kind of the, the broad basis, the broad um, population of students to know and realize as they're writing their essays? Yeah, so, so big picture, you want to have a sense of what the reader is going to learn about you. Um, and hopefully it's a positive thing that they're going to come away. Um, uh, and so telling a story that captures these qualities that that you want the admissions reader to, to, to hear about. Um, in, our, in our college essay workshop that we do over the summer, um, we talk about a, a couple different tests that uh, a good essay has, so it passes. First is, can you write at the college level? Our Gilman guys can write at the college level, so I'm not too worried about that one. Uh, the next one, I, I call it the roommate test. And so if I had a son or daughter that's also applying, but I want them to be your roommate. Oh, interesting. So, um, you know, what sort of qualities are, do you have? Um, are you helpful? Are you thoughtful? Are you a nice person? Uh, I would want that person to be my kid's roommate. Uh, I also talk about the lab partner test or the, the, the writing center test, writing consultant test. Um, would I want my son or daughter to be paired with you in a class or on an assignment or on a lab? Um, are you guys going to work together? Are you going to be helpful? Are you going to collaborate? Are you going to take direction well? Are you going to give direction well? So all of these things, uh, the roommate test, the lab partner test, um, those are helpful. So in the United States, higher ed, they're looking for students that can be a part of a community, but also part of the academic community. Mm. Um, and so I think those are, are, are important tests to pass uh, when, when writing a college essay. Another one, um, in addition to the, the lab partner and the roommate test is the lost essay test. So if you printed your essay and it fell out of your backpack and it was in the hall, would your teacher know that it's yours and it didn't have your name on it, the, the, the essay didn't have your name on it? Would your teachers know that it's yours? Um, is, it, is it you? Would your friends know that it's yours? Would your like ninth grade history teacher know that it's yours? Yeah. Um, and so um, you know, what sort of impact are you making on your community? Are you getting to know your teachers? Are you getting to know your friends? And, or maybe that kid that you sat next to in 10th grade Euro Civ, does he still know you, even though you may not be best friends? Um, and would he know that that's your work, that's your essay, that's your story? So those are you know, open-ended, big picture questions, but um, I, I can't think of a good college essay that I've read that doesn't pass those tests. And the last one, especially, uh, I think is so important. And the one that I actually just read and was helping the student cut it down a little bit, I, co- I totally knew it was his because it was about what he loves to do. It's about what he's interested in, passionate about. And you could, you could feel that energy in like every sentence that he's excited about. He's almost excited about writing it because it's about what he likes to do. It's important to him. That's a good topic. Yeah. So sometimes uh, the brainstorming of topics, I'll have, uh, you know, a student come in and say, you know, what, what are three stories or three things that you like to do? Um, 
and then he'll tell me those stories and I can just look at him and say, that's, you know, the one that you light up about, the one yep. that you smile and um, you get animated. That's, that's what you need to be writing your essay about. Yeah. There are some questions on these supplemental essays that are pretty unique, different. I would say a little bizarre at some points. Like one of them, I think someone told me was define joy or talk about joy, which I guess goes into our conversation about what you like and what you're passionate about. But what are some of those kind of obscure questions that our students are writing about and how do you how do you help them figure out where to go with difficult questions like, you know, define joy or I don't know. I, I don't know many of them, but I know yeah. they're out there. So some are about Richmond has one about spiders. Uh, UVA has one about defining or your favorite word. Um, Penn had one a couple years ago. There's a Ben Franklin quote, something along the lines, is, is it better to be movable or immovable? Um, and, <laughs> and so I, I like that one. And so you can take it in any, any way. Um, and so they're, they're, they're trying to get who you are. They're trying to get, um, get to know your qualities, get to know your interests. Um, University of Georgia has one this year that's, that's asking about, basically, um, college applications are, can be stressful. This is an intense time period. Tell us a story of something funny that happened to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are, are good questions because they get, um, um, they get to the, to the essence of what a, a student's interested in and what brings them joy, and, and, um, and it helps them tell that story. So asking good questions is tough. Would you say, um, would you say the student essay is the most important part of I know that they're all equally important, but the student essay seems like it really conveys who this person is on a, on a deep level. Um, and does that have a little bit more sway or weight than, say, an SAT score that's kind of in the ballpark of the school or the GPA that's in the ballpark? Like, is it the student essay that can push a student over the, the hump of getting into the school? Is the teacher rec a little bit more important? Like, what what do admissions teams really look for or emphasize in their decision? So I would see the essay as, as a thumb on a scale um, when, when they're, they're weighing an application. Um, the most important factor is your, your transcript. Um, and so the, the, the first, in the olden days, the first document that they would look at when they were reviewing an application, they, they'd open the file um, and they would go right to the transcript. They look at your performance in the classroom, which is your performance over the entire year. Mm-hmm. And then they'll look at the, great, the, the classes that you're in. Are you challenging yourself? Are you taking an appropriate um, academic program? Um, I think the college essay gets so much buzz and there's so many headlines maybe about the essay is because at this point in the year, the student has 100% control over the, ap- the, the application essay. Yep. They don't have control over their 10th grade science class or their 9th grade math class. They have a blank sheet of paper, a blank document that you can fill in with whatever you want. Um, and so application essays, supplemental essays are important. Um, not more important than your transcript, though. And then how about the teacher rec? Because I'm continuing to write these recommendations, and I'm thinking a lot about how, okay, I'm an English teacher. I'm writing about my knowledge of this particular student in my American literature class, which is common. It's a pretty common 11th grade course. 
And I'm thinking as an admissions officer and I'm reading through all these essays, don't they all look pretty similar? Aren't they all about, you know, this person's contribution to a discussion during the Scarlet Letter or during the Great Gatsby, right? They kind of, I'm trying to think about how to differentiate a college rec letter um, that's, you know, it's different than what other English teachers might write about that particular student. Because I know one thing about writing the college essay is that you want to focus on a specific moment or a part of class that stuck sticks out to you about this student. And I'm just thinking, like, in a pile of college rec letters, like, aren't they all going to be pretty similar? I think we're in a unique position at Gilman to, to get to know our students really well. And so I've read non-Gilman teacher recs and they're cookie cutter. Um, it, you know, there's almost a, an, a rec letter for an A student, a rec letter for a B student and a rec letter for a lower than that student. Mm-hmm. Um, our Gilman teachers write great recs and I, I'm, I'm really impressed by the quality of writing one, but, but more impressed about how teachers get to know their students and can tell that story and kind of provide that extra thumb on the scale when reviewing application. Um, you know, every couple of years we'll, we'll have a conversation with an admissions rec, rep and, and it's, you know, it was, wow, what that teacher said, more, more than, than every couple of years, but um, in a conversation with a rep, wow, what that teacher said in that rec letter, that really helped this student. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they are helpful and and we in the college counseling office are, are very appreciative of the time and the effort that, that teachers put into writing these recs. Um, in the same way that the college essay should kind of capture the essence of the student or the personality or their identity in the first couple paragraphs, I would say, what is it that makes a strong college rec? Is it the first paragraph that you're really trying to capture the essence of the student? Is it... Um, does it need to be specific to that exact class or should like if someone is writing a college rec right now what is it that he or she wants to focus on in the beginning of the recommendation that will help stick out sure so I, I will first not answer your question say and say don't write about yourself if you're a teacher listening to this or watching this they don't care about you they don't care about where you went to college or the class or, or the class too much right it, it doesn't matter. doesn't right? matter. It, it's about what the student did in your class, the, the impact that they had in the class, the impact that that student had on a discussion, the impact that they had on a classmate in, in the ways that they encouraged uh, the participation of another student, a, a question that they maybe asked a classmate that unlocked a discussion, or the way that they edited a paper, a, a peer's paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the assignments that I do in class is that I have students peer review or peer edit another student. Um, and so I'll save those comments and have access to those Google Doc comments. And I'll sometimes go back to those when I'm writing a teacher rec and say, you know, it's these sort of constructive comments that made their peers' papers so much better. Um, and so that's, those are the kind of students I want to get to know and, and I want to share classrooms with and and those are the sorts of things that, that can help. Now that I've done a couple years of rec writing, I've kind of done something similar is that when there's a, 
special day for a student or they say something that's really important or strong, I just try to make a note of it because I know that, you know, if, if they ask me to write a rec letter, if I don't write it down, I'm going to totally forget. Like, you totally forget these. And then I even found out, like, waiting a couple weeks in the summer and waiting till the summer's over to start writing, you just you forget those special days for that student that really, I think, will stick out and make a strong rec. Yeah. So I, as a teacher, I would say incorporate those into your teacher comments. So at Gilman, we all have to write uh, quarter comments or semester comments uh, throughout the year. Um, and so get those in your teacher comments. So open up a Google Doc and have those notes that you're going to be um, saving for your teacher recs, but include them in your teacher comments and, and have those, those, those really kind of snapshots of, of inspiration, of excitement, of um, collaborating with another kid. Um, write those in the teacher comments and then you have access to those and then you have, oh, what, when a kid asks you, you can go back to your own teacher comments. Uh, Eva Turner, who was a longtime English teacher, college counselor, and then um, head of the upper school, she would write her teacher comments and you could almost copy and paste the paragraph and put it into the teacher rec. Mm-hmm. Um, they were that thoughtful, but um, you know, she made her life easy by writing really good teacher comments because it helped write college recs later on yeah that's that's super smart um so how did you kind of fall into the career path of becoming a college counselor and history teacher like what what was your um kind of process and uh, decision to become a college counselor in the first place so it was quite accidental that I became a college counselor. So both my parents are educators. My dad worked at St. Albans School in D.C. for 44 years, and my mom um, was a teacher and ended up in retiring as the uh, director of admission at uh, Washington Episcopal School. So teachings uh, in, my, in my blood, and my grandmother was a teacher too. Um, so I, I knew pretty early that I wanted to be a teacher, um, and so I, I spent five years at a, um, at a boarding school, uh, West Nottingham Academy in um, Calora, Maryland. And uh, I started there as a, a teacher, coach, dorm parent. And then um, my second or third year, the college counselor left. Um, and oh, it's too bad. I, you know, I like the college counselor. You know, wonder who they're going to bring in next. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once uh, she announced her retirement, uh, they, they asked me would I be interested in the job. Um, I had not given it any thought at that point. And so I, I certainly did think about it. I went back and um, before taking the job, I went back and, and talked to, to my college counselor, my guidance counselor back um, f- that I had in high school. Um, I went to Walt Whitman High School, big public school in D.C. or in, um, in the D.C. area, Montgomery County. Um, and so I became college counselor there, and it was a, a great place to, to start your career. Um, and then this job opened up at Gilman, and I applied for the job. I got it. Um, and so I've been here for, I think this is my 12th year. Um, and so that's how I, I got into college counseling, you know, not intentionally, but um, uh, I like it. And so I tell people that if I could write a job description, I've got it right now. If I could write my own job description. So I get to teach a class. I get to do college counseling and get to work with interesting kids and interesting families. Um, and the, the teacher coach model here at Gilman is really important to me too. So I get to coach. So I've coached soccer over the years and, um, and, and golf for the past couple of years. What, 
Um, what is your favorite part of college counseling, and then what is the most difficult part for you as a college counselor? The most difficult part would be writing the rec letters. So uh, each college counselor has, has a caseload, and so we, like teachers, get to know our students really well, and so we want to capture all of those great qualities uh, in a rec letter. Um, so that, that is challenging because we want to we do right by each kid. Um, and so there is no uh, formula or format to follow. And so each student um, you know, gets their own rec letter, and it is unique and special, and, uh, and, and hopefully we're doing a great job with that. Um, How many do you have to write during a typical year? So my caseload over the years it ranges from you know, 25 to 40 students that, that we've worked with. Um, in the past couple years... Um, or more than the past couple of years. So I started here and I essentially took over the caseload of Jeff Christ and Ned Harris. So between the two of them, they took about a third of the class. Um, Carl Algren and Larry Malkus were the other college counselors at the time when I started. Um, and so we, we now have four of us in the office. And so um, between the, the, the four of us, we, we work with the senior class. Uh, the best part of the college process or the, the, my, my, the college counseling job is the first meeting, is the first formal meeting that I have with the student um, where I get a sense of their excitement, their, the, the things that they're nervous about, the things that, um, that they just don't know yet. And so um, my first, the, the excitement that many teachers have on the first day of school, that comes in that first formal meeting that I have with the student. Hmm. Um, where I get to know them, they get to know me, they get to know that they have somebody here, uh, a college counselor that, that is there for them to answer questions, to help them out um, throughout the process. Does that meeting typically happen junior year or early senior year? So in the winter of the junior year, we will we'll have that first meeting. Um, we are working with the, the freshman and sophomore um, in four meetings, in freshman fifth, sophomore seminar, giving presentations, um, information, uh, parent coffees, things like that. Um, but that first formal meeting is going to be in the junior year. But, but most of the time I have a sense of who that kid is because I've either taught them already in class or I've coached them already or I'm their advisor or in the junior form I've worked with them. Um, and so with a student body of about 120, we can get to our, get to know our students really well. I would think um, another difficult part of the, the job of a college counselor would be just trying to manage and trying to talk students through some of the high levels of stress and expectation that come with going to a school like Gilman and having parents that have put a lot of investment into their sons and are looking for the, you know, the highest of the high and the, the best um, name brand school that their son can get to. Um, if I'm a student and I'm dealing with a lot of these pressures and I'm feeling pretty overwhelmed by it all, what are some things that the college counseling office does? Because I feel like you're also, I mean, that's part of the words, counseling. You're, you're helping them out um, in terms of their personal struggles in this journey of trying to find the right, right place for them. Um, what are some ways that you guys counsel the students who are dealing with some of this, the high levels of stress and emotions that go into this process? So giving them information. Uh, I, I think 
our students are really smart and qualified and interesting um, people, first of all. Uh, and so getting to know the students, getting to know them well, um, realizing the best ways to connect with the student. Um, you know, if, if I have four meetings in a day, each student's certainly different. And so figuring out what's the best way to connect with that, that kid, um, how to answer their questions, how to give them information um, that they can use to feel more comfortable, to feel empowered, to feel excited about the process. Um, and so that's, that's a challenge. That's mm-hmm. a challenge. Um, there is pressure. There's expectations to do well, to perform. Um, and so we do the best we can. Um, so going back to kind of your journey into college counseling, into teaching, um, when you first got to Gilman as a teacher, coach, and counselor, um, what are some ways that you kind of developed in your, in your teaching um, in this American history course? I don't really know too much about it. I have unfortunately haven't been over to observe and, and sit in your class, but I've been to a couple other other classes as a young teacher and, and watch and try to learn from some people. But um, what has your journey been like as a teacher and a coach and um, kind of a educator to get to where you are now? So the, I think some of the best parts uh, about Gilman is that teacher-coach model. Yeah. Um, I, I think it, what, it, it, it's what makes this space, this place so special. Um, that you get adults here who want to spend time here. They, they want to help students. They want to get to know their students. They want to challenge their students. They want to know that, how to push their students. And so knowing them in different ways is the best way to do that. And so if that's on the soccer field, great. If that's on the stage, great. If that's in the classroom and, and, and that's where you connect and can push them, that's great too. And so there are lots of opportunities to do that here. And so that's, that is what makes this space, this place so special. Yeah. And I think going back to your earlier point about, uh, writing a strong rec letter is at Gilman, you know, the students in so many different ways, you know what they're like on the field, you know what they're like in the classroom at advisory at lunch. Um, it really is such a, I guess, closely packed or intimate place during the day even though it's not a boarding school it does have that same feel like you're you're knowing these guys in so many different ways that that point really makes a lot of sense that yeah Gilman teachers are probably really good at writing recs because we know we know the full boy we know what they're all about and what they like to do what excites them what they're doing in the afternoon yeah so so we certainly know the sports they're playing, the the clubs that they're involved in, what they're doing on the weekends, because we have those uh, before class and after class conversations with them. We're not running off, um, and and you know the, the the parking lot doesn't clear at at, at three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably gets more crowded in the afternoon with parents coming, uh, former faculty coming, um, alumni coming. So th- this place comes to live, you know, comes alive in the afternoons, certainly. How did you, um, how did you get into soccer and golf as, uh, sports to coach? So I, I grew up playing soccer and baseball. Um, and I think 
golf was a later in life um, sport that I got involved in. Um, fall is, is busy as a college counselor. I think I mentioned that earlier. And um, soccer is in the fall. And so I, I couldn't um, be a good college counselor, be a good history teacher, be a good soccer coach, be a good husband, be a good dad uh, in the fall <laughs> a lot. Uh, by, by doing all of that. And um, uh, the days were very long in the fall. So I did the best I could for as long as I could. Um, but then I moved and, and looked uh, for, for spring sports to, to get involved in. Um, and so, uh, golf has been a lot of fun. And, and I had a, a, a joke that I, that I would use when we would introduce ourselves. Um, I'll tell people that I have the most coveted job at an independent school. I was the assistant JV golf coach. Uh, <laughs> and so it, it, it is a good gig. Um, so I, I worked with, uh, Joe Ciotti for a long time as his assistant coach, but, um, Fortunately for him, he retired. Unfortunately for me, uh, I can no longer use that joke. Um, so I'm not the assistant anymore. So I have to drive the bus. And um, but it's fun. Uh, it's still fun. Um, and so I, I certainly like golf because it's probably the only sport where you can walk along your athlete, your kids you're playing with, playing against, and have full conversations. Mm-hmm. And they don't know you're having the conversation. Um, and so some people talk about hiking with, with their kids or hiking with friends, um, that they have the best conversations hiking, um, going on a walk with their kids. So I have really good college counseling meetings. The kids don't know their college counseling meetings out on the golf course when we're just walking holes and, um, you know, walking through shots and talking about the books they're reading and talking about their day and, and what's going on that night, what's going on that weekend. Um, you know, how are rehearsals going for the play, uh, so they're in college counseling meetings, but but they don't know it. That sounds like the perfect sport to coach if you're a college counselor, honestly. Um, and you said you came to that later in life. Did you not grow up golfing? I don't think I – I mean, I had hand-me-down golf clubs. At, uh, I had a college roommate that played golf. He was pretty good. Um, and so we kind of connected that way. I mean, you know, just a, a way to connect with your roommate. Um, he had golf clubs, so we, I don't know, go out and hit balls or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember how that happened. Um, um, but it was certainly a later in life, um, hobby that I picked up. Um, but it's fun. Uh, I love going out and playing with my two boys. Um, my son Andrew's in, in fifth grade and Jack is in second. And so, you know, we go out and play and, um, you know, they, they like it. Yeah, at the, at they the do. Age, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm still I'm still on that uh, just beyond the fun part of golf. It's like still stressful for me. I go out there and it's, you know, I'm worried about. I just need to make contact to the ball so I don't look like a fool. Yep. You know, but once I'm over that hump, that's when it becomes. Okay. Well, usually the the good lacrosse players with good hands can can figure it out pretty quick. Um, so how how's your short game? Is that is that the, is that the best part of your game? So we did the Bryn Holmes does the um, organizes the fall round of golf and I hadn't played in in a while but my group was joking with me because the easy shots like you know when you're just hitting the ball I'm I can't hit them and then somehow I'll hit one out of the out of the sand that will go in the hole and I'm just like dude you make all of the the hard shots but the inconsistency is just frustrating for me. So once I once I figure it out and I get a little bit more, the problem is it's it's so much time. Like you got to have at least four hours on deck ready to go and just be out there. Um, it, 
and you need to practice. You need to practice. You need to practice, yeah. So I'd go out and play nine holes more than 18 yes. would be my recommendation. Yes, I agree so with that. So going out and playing nine, it's two hours instead of four. Um, so. so let me ask you, um, in your U.S. history course that you teach, what is kind of the curriculum? What do you guys do in that, in that class? So it's a survey course, um, pre-contact to um, – to my final assignment for the year, the final project for the year is um, uh, students are, are, are writing a position paper on a, a UN resolution that's passed in next year. Um, so these resolutions haven't been written yet. And so they have to pick a UN Security Council resolution and um, take into account U.S. policy. Um, and, and then um, the second part of the final project is a simulation on a, a fictitious um, um, uh, incident that's happening in a South, uh, South American country. And so you have to take into account U.S. policy towards it. They're assigned a, a, a country on the Security Council and whether or not they would support that Security Council resolution. So I, I, I like this class because I get to the present every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, we're, we're talking about things that are happening in the news that week, that month. Um, certainly that year to go into um, that final paper and that final simulation. Um, one of the, the first assignments that I, I had the students do is um, uh, an excerpt from James Lowen's uh, Lies My Teacher Told Me. It's the truth about the first Thanksgiving. Um, and so that, that starts us off. Um, and then the, the final assignment for the year is that UN Security Council resolution. Some other assignments that we do um, um, it's a, a your family in American history. So you have to interview a family member and then you have to connect a theme that, that we've talked about in class and connect it to your family. And so it could be higher education. It could be um, discrimination. It could be um, uh, environmentalism. It could be uh, any topic that you're excited about that you can connect to your family um, that, um, that initially the, the students... Uh, um, have trouble with that and they struggle with it because they don't know where to go. Um, but, uh, I have them talk with uh, a family member, um, about their family's history. And oftentimes, uh, it becomes a memorable project for them because they connected with a family member that they hadn't connected with, um, before. Sometimes it's an uncle or an aunt. Um, and so they, they get excited about that. Um, the, you had me interested with the first Thanksgiving part. Okay. Um, what happened during the first Thanksgiving? What is the background on that one? Uh, so, so what you know, you, you might have learned about the um, um, the, the pilgrims providing a, a feast for the the Native Americans, um, and and so there, there's a line in in, in Lowen's the truth about the first Thanksgiving. It was the other way around. Um, it was a, a feast that. Pilgrims had never seen before, mm-hmm. um, and, and it was not um, the the settlers in in quote settlers providing for uh, the the Native Americans, um, and so we that that reading assignment and, and the discussions that we have it fleshes out uh, a lot of themes that we'll talk about later on in the year. American exceptionalism um, being one of them. Um, we talk about. Um, the fact that uh, what we now know as the United States has been Spanish longer than it has been certainly American and, and British. So 
um, you know, the, the, the first contact of, of quote unquote settlers of the new world were Spanish. And so from, you know, California to Florida and, and space in between that, that territory has been Spanish longer than it's been American. And so that, that catches a lot of students off guard. Um, and so, you know, what does that mean to students, um, that are not American that are coming in? How, how might they interpret, um, the, the, the founding of the, what we now know as the United States. Um, so lots of things to think about in the first reading assignment that we're going to talk about throughout the year in our class. I've always been interested in that book, even though I haven't read much of it, but I, I just remember actually my junior English teacher taught out of the same book, Lies My Teacher Told Me. Um, and it just brings me to think about like how difficult teaching history probably is because who's to, who's to say what actually happened like is it the textbook is it this book is it this person's opinion um one of my favorite podcasts that i listen to is malcolm gladwell's revisionist history where he kind of just goes back into a similar to that book a common told story about what happened in the past and he reinvestigates and looks back into it and kind of just changes your thinking about what you know what actually is going on here and how it came to be and how it was first conceptualized as this when in reality that's not the case yeah so the, the reading also helps uh hammer home the the, the point that um you know we're, we're here to ask questions in, at, here at gilman we're not here to teachers are not here just to give you the information um, we want you to be able to ask questions and feel comfortable to ask questions and why is it that way why was it that way have you thought about it in a different way um, and so that's really exciting when, you know, those questions come up in a discussion that haven't come up before in, you know, 11 years that maybe I've been teaching the same book. Um, you know, in, in your class, if you're reading the Scarlet Letter, you know, the book hasn't changed, but the students change each year and their experience change each year. And the recent election happened last year. And so all of these different events uh, factor into discussion and change it and make it exciting each year. Yeah, it's super interesting to um, to see how the opinions on certain things change. And I've said it before, but I've really learned more each year about these texts that I feel like I know and I feel like I've mastered because of the different opinions and the different worldviews that come into the classroom, um, which is a really cool part of the job. Um, so your book recommendation, did you have uh, something that you would recommend the – all our listeners. So I'll give you the, the book that I just finished. It's uh, Kristen Hanna's The Four Winds, which is about um, uh, a woman a woman and her two kids who um, are, are surviving in the Dust Bowl and then make it during the Great Depression to California. And so it's the struggle on the farm. And so from there to get to California, and then once they get to, the, to, get to California, um, there's struggle there. It, it was a... A really interesting book. I, I think the only book I ever read about the work of fiction about um, the Great Depression was Of Mice and Men. Um, and I probably read it in, in middle school or early on in high school. Um, and this tells a different story, a similar struggle, um, but a different story about uh, a woman whose husband left her uh, on their family farm and, and then she makes the way to California um, on her own. So it was a, 
an empowering book, uh, an exciting book, uh, a sad book, uh, a depressing book um, at the same time. So that, that would be one that I would recommend. Um, Was that a recommendation from someone else or did you find that on your own or how did that play out? I would say most of my book recommendations uh, come from my mom. She is uh, a voracious reader. She's always reading a book, um, mostly fiction, uh, historical fiction too. Um, and so that, um, I think, has influenced me and in, in what I read, and, and it's got me thinking about uh, trying to put together uh, a senior elective uh, in the next year um, and, and a historical fiction senior elective. Mm. Um, and so this would be one of those books that I probably have the students read. Um, some other books that, that I would probably have them read would be The Revenant. Um, um, other ones that I'm reading, right? Uh, the, the book that I just started right now that was recommended to me from uh, Aaron Goldman, Dean of Students, um, is American Dirt, um, which is about uh, a woman who has to flee um, uh, drug traffickers uh, in Mexico. It's in, you know a chapter, a couple chapters in, and so she's making her way. Um, I've heard really good things about that one. That was what last year, or the year before, at least. It's very recently published. Yep. So it's a recent book. So th- that would be another one that I, I'm I'm thinking of including in in that historical fiction book or um, a historical fiction elective that I'm I'm putting together. Cool. Well, that sounds pretty awesome. Are you? Can you use this in your American history class at all, or do you get to the Great Depression in that course? We certainly do. We, we um, I have not used this book, and um, I, I supplement most of the readings um, in the class um, with primary sources. Um, I have I've used historical fiction a couple times over the years, but but mostly it's going to be primary source documents that we'll pull in um, and, and some of those primary sources come from what's called a, a choices unit for Brown University puts together um, these different units um, that, that culminate in a, a simulation so f- that final project that I referenced earlier a United Nations res- resolution that came out of one of those choices unit um, where you have uh, a debate you're collaborating with the student or w- with other students in the class um, on that assignment Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you very much for coming in today. Um, again, I know it's a busy time, so I appreciate you uh, being willing to come on the podcast. I hope this is valuable for people listening and you know, maybe they're thinking about their college app and that whole process right now. And I think you know, for parents and for other people who might be concerned or interested or have questions about it, I think we, we cover that pretty well. So I appreciate it. And uh, Thank you again. Well, thank you for having me. I I appreciate it. Good time.